Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Hey, good morning. Welcome to New Life. I'm James. I'm one of the staff pastors here. I'm thankful to have the opportunity to be able to share with you guys today. We're going to be uh, continuing our uh, study in the stewardship series. I wanted to give you a little preview of the kind of things that we're going to be covering in the upcoming weeks. Last weekend, if you didn't get a chance to be here, Ron introduced the series and talking about how to steward your spiritual life. That was last weekend. I encourage you to be able to get a copy either from the Resource Center um, or off the website. This weekend, we're going to be covering how to steward time. Ron will be covering in the next two weeks family and legacy. And then in the end of October, Ron and Annette will be sharing on how to steward your sexuality. So looking forward to that. And then we'll have a little three-part mini-series in the end, our first part of November, on how to steward your money for the glory of God and the good of all people. So it's an exciting time to be here at New Life. Thanks for joining us. Ron, by the way, sends his greetings. He's meeting with some four-square head honchos down in Southern California, and he sends his greetings and love. On a personal note, you need to know that Ron's beloved Dodgers did not make the playoffs this year. So he's feeling a little torn up about that. Here's what I'd like you to do. I think October is Clergy Appreciation Month. His email address is rswore at canbefoursquare.com. rswore at canbefoursquare.com. Drop him a note this week and say, Ron, we love you. Sorry about your Dodgers. Thank you for being our fantastic pastor. And I'm sure that will help soften the blow. It's a good time to be in church. Thank you. We endeavor to be a people that are in love with Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and guided by the Word of God. Um, and so thank you for joining us. Um, today we're going to talk about how you spend your time. And this has some obvious difficulties to it for a couple of reasons. One, if I go over in a sermon about time management, the irony will not be lost on any of you. Uh, the second thing is that I think most often we can kind of, uh, Christians are prone to guilt. And we talk about how you steward your time. Already you might be feeling, oh no. Here's what's not going to happen today. I have no intention of adding anything else to you. I, in my mind, I have this visual of all of us with this big heavy backpack that we wear around. And in it is this, the bricks of performance-based identity. We are only as good as what we do. And it's really heavy. And the gospel frees us from this. Because Jesus already did enough. And we cannot add Jesus plus anything equals nothing. But Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus already did enough. His work on the cross, how he spent his time, makes us acceptable in the beloved, not what we do. So I want to make sure that this isn't a performance-based do more in order that sermon. It's not. We rest in the fact that Jesus Christ on the cross paid the debt. It is finished. And we rest in his grace and we are motivated by the love that we have for him in order to do good things. Because there's a massive difference between Christians who are motivated to do more stuff in order to kind of shake the monkey of self-guilt and performance-based identity out of guilt. There's a huge difference between that and the Christian who says, I am in love with Jesus and out of that am able to function in this world productively to expand the kingdom of God. Not out of guilt, but out of love. 
What I want you to get away from this sermon today is love, not guilt. So the gospel saves. Jesus already did enough. We come along beside him, empowered by his grace to do fantastic things on behalf of the kingdom of God. So we have got one goal today that will come to us like this. The goal today is to glorify Jesus through our stewardship of the time that God has given to us. One goal, glorify Jesus, our stewardship of the time God has given to us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that we are still alive. It's not too late until you come back or we die. Help us to make the most of every opportunity because you have done enough and we love you. And so you're our king and we're grateful to be your kid. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen and amen. All right. Remember the goal. Goal is to glorify Jesus. We're going to do it through looking at our stewardship of the time that God has given to us. So there's three parts. Glorifying Jesus, our stewardship, and God's time. We're going to take them in reverse order. Let's talk about God's time. Here's the big idea that all the other ideas hang upon. All time belongs to God. The days that you've been given up to this point in your life were a gift to you by God and not necessarily promised anymore. Let's build the biblical case together. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. We open in a blackout. There is nothing created except for the uncreated one. God who has existed from all of eternity past. And in Genesis 1, the Bible says, in the beginning, God spoke. Genesis 1 verse 3 said, and God said, let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that it was good, and he separated it from the darkness. He called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now, out of the many things that we draw out of this passage, the key idea for us is this, that God created time. That's the meaning of that last phrase, evening and morning the very first day. God created time. So that means that God owns all time. Not only did God create time, He also controls time, and He owns it. And we're taught in the Bible as well not to presume upon more time. This is the words of James, who was the stepbrother of Jesus, to his congregation in the New Testament. He writes in James chapter 4, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Key phrase, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you watch, well, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So the key idea, God has given us time and it's a gift, not a right or an entitlement. I'll say that again. Time is a gift, not a right or an entitlement to us. So this raises an interesting question. What's the biblical response? Leave James and go all the way back to Psalms 90 in the, in the Old Testament to hear the words of Moses. Moses here says in Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Notice in that picture that I think that's bolts of light emitting from Moses' forehead. Which in my mind is a... Is a good cue to pay attention to what he's about to say. <laughs> Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Now let's do some quick math. 
Personally, I'm a little over 28 years old, so if you pencil it out, 28.7 years times 365 days, I think I'm up to right now about 10,476 days old. I looked it up on the internet, a person my age has the life expectancy of another 51 years, or I think that's 18,615 days left. I have about 18,000 days left, right? And that's assuming that the Lord doesn't come back, I don't get hit by a bus, contract some horrible disease, or perish prematurely in a myriad of other ways. At most, I can reasonably expect 50 more years. In case you're wondering, I did some math and I put together a little table to see where you compare on how that works out. So, find your age. You can see the number of days you've lived, how many days you have remaining, and most depressingly, what percentage of your life you have left. Now, you'll notice, someone my age will only anticipate to live to 80, but if you've gotten to 80, you've got about another eight or nine more years. And if you get to 90, they'll still front you three or four. So, if you're 80, it's not over for you yet. Yeah, but that's kind of sobering. If you're 40, you see that percentage of your life left, 50%. What's all the math meant to do? The Bible says that when we number our days, it gives us a heart of wisdom because we realize that time may be a lot shorter than we think it is. So if time, what are we to do then? The Bible says in Ephesians um, 5, 15, and 16, the conclusion that we're going to draw here is that in order to be good stewards of the time that God has granted to us, we need to make the best use of the time. This is what Paul says to us. He says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So let's examine. The days are evil, I think we'd all agree, but in light of that, we are to walk carefully, think intentionally, and thus stewarding or demonstrating the wisdom of stewarding your time well. Uh, let me give you an example of what Paul's not talking about. Last month, my wife and I vacationed at her mother's house in Southern Oregon. Before you judge me, I have three children ages two and younger. We need all the help we can get. We were at Jenny's house, and she was just fantastic, treated us like kings, and it was a season of bliss. My kids were being taken care of. I think I watched eight football games in seven days. At the end of one of those very, very lazy days in which I'd done jack squat, I crawl into bed. It's 11.30, and all three of my boys are asleep, which in itself is a hallelujah. And my, I've got my laptop there with me, and my wife crawls into bed, too, and she looks at me, and I realize I've got Netflix on my it's 11.30. I ought to be at my wife. She looks at me, and I swear the voice of God came out of her mouth. James, will that really make you rested? Oh, and I was torn because what I knew I wanted to do and what I ought to do. And you know what I decided? I had decided that I could watch Transformers 3 on Netflix right then and there. And you know what I decided after that? That Transformers 3 is the worst movie I've ever seen. It's three hours long, and it's one ginormous explosion interrupted by dialogue between robots saying stuff like, We will destroy your planet. No, you won't. It's a horrible movie. 
So here I am, it's close to 3 a.m. in the morning. I'm done with this thing. I knew I've completely wasted my time. And then what happens? My babies get up. And they need to eat. So now I've got to get up. It's four by the time everybody gets back to sleep. And I get up again. I don't know. You know what I was the next day? Horrible. I was depressed and cranky and tired. And everybody suffered for it, not the least me and my wife. All because I failed to steward my time wisely. Me watching that movie at that time was dumb. The Bible says, be wise, not foolish. I fell in the foolish category really hard. What happened? It's because I didn't pay attention to what Paul said. Paul says, look carefully how you spend your time. I decided, I know the consequences of starting a three-hour movie at 11.30 p.m., but I'll ignore them because I want to. I don't care to see the trajectory of my decisions and what might happen to me and my family tomorrow. I want to do what I want now. That's the essence of foolishness because I fail to look carefully at the consequences or the decision of how I used my time. This is the key difference between wisdom and foolishness is that wise thinking looks at what's best in the long run. And foolish thinking looks at what's fun now. This is really easy to do. Um, how many of you guys have gone to work in a given week and you've got a list of to-dos, you've got X, Y, and Z, you need to get done that week. You spend 40 hours at your desk and at the end of the week you've done a ton of stuff and X, Y, and Z still remains. What happened? You were working the whole time. We fall victim to the tyranny of the urgent. Where what is immediate and in front of us overtakes that which is actually important. Rather than prioritizing our, excuse me, rather than prioritizing our schedule, we fail to schedule our priorities. We didn't do what was best first. In this Christian life, we fall victim to the same trap because we sometimes fail to remember that we're actually living for all of eternity. And the stuff that we gather up here and now, can't take it with you. There's an old cliche, and I think it bears repeating. It says this, only one life will soon be passed, and only what is done for Christ will last. You see, if you're... Um, give your money to a financial advisor planning for retirement you'll want to put your money where you will get maximum return on your investment 30 or 40 years from now I would submit to you that when we talk about time that's far too short a time frame we need to be thinking what can we do now with the resources the gift of time that God has given us that will bring maximum investment in light of eternity only things done for Christ will last. This is the subtle deception behind the American dream. 40 acres and an SUV. None of that we can take with us. And if we spend all of our time trying to turn it into money in order to make ourselves comfy, we'll end up poor in heaven. Because we failed to make an investment that will bring maximum return in light of eternity. 
I think part of the problem that we have, and I know most of you have probably prayed a prayer. We even sung a song today that says, Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my all. We know that we want Jesus to have all of us, all of our time. It's one thing to be able to say, Jesus, I give you my whole life. It's another thing to say, Jesus, I give you Mondays and Tuesdays at 8 p.m. when I'm usually watching Dancing with the Stars. We fail to change because we fail to get brutally specific about the areas in our life. And you can do this. I'm not here to judge you. I'm allowing the Holy Spirit, hopefully, to speak into you. Pay attention. Ask the Holy Spirit, God, where are there areas of waste in the way I handle my time? I have an iPhone, which is a massive entertainment distraction. One morning, I, I found this game. I won't tell you what it is because it's a little addictive. I don't want to be selling drugs up here. Um, I've got my phone open. And I know, but time, you got to understand, parents understand this. Time is so precious and limited when it's quiet and your kids are asleep. I knew I needed to be in the Word. And so I've got the Bible open on my lap and I've got my phone in front of my Bible. So that, like, when the game is loading, I can be reading Scripture. And I got convicted. This was me last week. This was your pastor. And I got convicted because I realized... What am I doing? What's my priority? I've got my phone on top of my Bible. I ended up deleting the app and I've been happier ever since. Because I realized that this is one of those areas that's sucking my time. Coming back to this idea about eternity, C.S. Lewis says something profound for us, mere Christianity. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffectual in this so this is macro time management the big idea about how you structure the priorities of your life my, my I implore you think about eternity very careful here Jesus Christ already is glorious quite apart from us God is unique among all the other religions of the world and that he does not need to be served he already is in fact, he is made glorious by serving us. My wife was in the hospital on bed rest for six weeks. She could do little more than go to the bathroom and take a shower for herself. She needed a ton of help. Do you know what happened every time she pushed that nurse call button? She was saying, I need your help. Would I be able to lean on your strength to help me in my weakness. God is infinite. He's an overflowing spring that has no bounds. And when you come to Him asking for help, what you're doing is you're pointing back to the glory of that overflowing spring. By glorifying Jesus, what we're talking about is recognizing our need. 
First Peter 1, the kind of theme verse for this whole stewardship series says that all of you ought to serve in the power that God supplies in order that God may be glorified in everything. When we depend on God's power to live our life, we glorify Jesus because it's an admission of saying, I need God to come help me. And God is infinite and glorious. So it's a matter of our affection and our objectives, our emotions and our behavior. When God becomes first in each of those areas, then it becomes glorified. And on top of this, we become a very, very thankful people. Glorifying Jesus simply means gratitude. My son Paxton is gorgeous, and he has several words to his vocabulary. When people come over to our house, he will often take them to the back deck, and he will show them a small, kid-sized picnic table that I built for Paxton this summer. Very simple. None of you who know the second thing about woodworking would be impressed. But to my son Paxton, it's a huge deal. And if you come over to our house, he may show you that, and he'll point at that picnic table, and he'll go, Daddy, do it. Paxton, did your daddy make that table? Yeah. He's demonstrating gratitude. And that, as a father, just fills my heart. It makes all the difference in the world. When we come back to God and just say, thank you, that glorifies Jesus. But this doesn't... Let's kind of finish the thought, though. How can we steward, this is the key question, how do we actually steward our time so that God gets the glory? St. Augustine was a pastor and a thinker from the 5th century. He says, love God and do as you please. Love God and do as you please. Now, this sounds a little dangerous, doesn't it? Because there's no rules there. I wouldn't tell Paxton when I leave the house every day, do as you please. I say, Paxton, obey your mother. Why? Because Paxton's heart is still bent towards selfishness and evil. But what happens when our heart gets changed? What happens when our love for God means that the want to and the ought to of life come into alignment. Love God and do as you please. The prophet Nathan in the Old Testament looked at David. This is uh, 2 Samuel 7. Looks at David and says, Behold, the Lord is with you. Do all that is in your heart. Some of us in here would say, Sweet! I can do as I please. And you forgot the first part can't. The first part is, if you prioritize God as being first, then gradually, by degree, His priorities and His will becomes out of you a natural, organic thing, and you don't have to worry about whether or not I'm in the will of God, because God is in you, and as you speak, you speak the words of God, and as you do, you do the things of God in excellence, wherever you might be. Love God, and do as you please. If that's the ultimate goal, we all know we're by degrees something separated from that and we need some structure around our lives so we don't fall off the deep end. Let me give you one kind of word picture that helps us out. Go back to Psalm 23. The Bible says that God leads us. God leads us. I don't know if you know this. In the ancient Near East, when a shepherd would have a flock of sheep, he did not lead them from the front, dragging them behind. 
Rather, the shepherd stood in the rear and he guided the sheep forward. So if I'm a sheep, there's a couple things I need to keep in mind. One, stay in motion. Just keep moving, right? And then if I feel like this next step is a big one, what do I do? I look back and I check in with the master. The shepherd knows, the shepherd cares more about keeping me on the right track. The shepherd cares more about me not wasting my time than I do. So if I'm about to screw up, I know that I can look back at him and whoosh, that's the rod and the staff coming into play, right? So I just ask Jesus, Jesus, how am I doing here? And if I'm doing wrong, whack me back into shape. You see that? God guides and leads. So how do you spend your time in order to glorify God the most? You keep walking forward, pursuing a love relationship with Jesus Christ, not rules. Christianity is a relationship, not rules. So you love God, and as you move forward, you keep checking in with the good shepherd. So this is the daily, constant contact we have. That's why the Bible says pray without ceasing, right? And in so doing, what we will find is that as we steward our time well, knowing that it's a gift, not a right or an entitlement, we will carry a strong sense of mission because we know that God's coming back soon. We don't want to waste an opportunity that's been given to us. And we will know always that as we fall more in love with Jesus Christ and live a life of gratitude and be brutally specific about how we spend our time, that we'll end up glorifying God. And in so doing, as people see our good work, they will also glorify the Father who's in heaven. I want to invite our prayer teams and worship teams forward. Jesus, please don't let us waste our life. God, I pray that you would bring a healthy Holy Spirit conviction to myself, first of all, and to all my brothers and sisters gathered here about the ways that we're wasting time. God, help us to identify not just where we're wasting time, but the things that we need to be doing instead. So that we'd be motivated out of a heart's desire to love, worship, honor, and glorify you and to come back around and give you thanks for it all when we're all said and done. God, I pray for strength for those of us that need to disconnect more, for those of us that need to engage more. Give us wisdom, God. We're your sheep. You're a good shepherd. We're your kids. You're a good dad. Father, we love you. We're grateful that you have spent your time caring for us. In your name we pray. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. Thank you.